We are recording. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchuk alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Today, we're going to be continuing our 2021 season outlooks with the Connecticut Sun, uh, Stephen's favorite team. That's right. My, uh, uh, I guess, default home team for most of my life. Um, the, you, were, you were really looking forward to, to doing this one, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think I called this team a drag or something like that. Maybe you, I said, just, you said they were stupid. <laughs> they're not stupid. They they try hard, as we all do. do. Uh, the, the Connecticut Sun in, in 2021, they went 10 and 12, good for the seventh seed. Uh, I believe they lost six of their first seven games before kind of rallying in the second half of the season there. They had a .6 net rating, which was good for seventh in the league. Offensive rating of 100.1, tied for ninth. And a defensive rating of 99.5, which was good for fourth in the league. Uh, They defeated Chicago in the first round before defeating Los Angeles without Neko Gumake in the second round and then losing to Vegas in five games in the semifinals. Where should we start? Well, you already uh, you already alluded to it. You already said they, they the Suns started 2020 losing six of their first seven games, and then in typical Sun fashion under Kurt Miller, they ended up nearly making the finals, which was I think really impressive for this team. You know, Stephen, when we entered the 2020 season, I think the the hype for this this Sun team was was really was really high. They kind of because they're they're coming off a a finals run. They nearly won the WNBA finals in 2019. Uh, they're coming off a finals run, deep finals run, and they end up making those, that, that big off-season splash by acquiring Dewana Bonner. Of course, uh, Courtney Williams and Shakina Strickland were out, both big parts of that former Sun squad. But I think a lot of people felt that, you know, with, with uh, Dewana Bonner, sorry, in the fold, the Sun team could really take that next step to become a true championship contender. And then some things happened with their off-season. You know, John Cole Jones has announced she was sitting out the season. Um, and the Suns team started very poorly. But they kind of, like you said, they kind of rallied and they ended up making the semifinals. Yeah, and I definitely was one of those people, uh, maybe it was the homer in me, but, you know, that thought that the Sun kind of raised their their championship window if maybe they lowered kind of their their median expectation. You know, this was a, a great core group with Williams and Strickland that they kind of broke up to bring Bonner in. Um, but they sort of needed, in my opinion, someone that brings what Bonner brought in terms of her uh, dribble penetration, kind of someone that can just get to the free throw line consistently. Uh, as you mentioned, it, it didn't work out as John Quell decided to sit out the season. And we definitely don't begrudge any player that decided to sit out the season, uh, no. you know, for what they believe is is in their best interest. Uh, and un- unfortunately won't be kind of with their core group again this season as Alyssa Thomas got hurt. But, you know, that's a bummer. But why don't we get kind of into the, the nitty gritty of, of this team with uh, the roster that they did end up going with the Offense was pretty bad. Uh, they, were, <laughs> It's funny looking back at it that the 2019 team, the team that made the finals, was actually a better offense than they were a defense. You know, you didn't really remember it that way, but it turns out they were, they were a pretty good offense. This team, not so much. They were 10th in both half-court efficiency and transition efficiency, uh, 7th in transition frequency. This is a team that, you know, we kind of picture as them as like a, a real, uh, I guess, transition heavy team but you know not as much as I think maybe in years past you know down from from sixth in efficiency and second in frequency in 2019 where they really really got out and ran I think the loss of uh, Strickland and Courtney Williams even though you know Bonner helped them I think in their transition game but it, it just wasn't the same I think the strengths and weaknesses of this team offensively I, I think is pretty well documented um, but it's kind of worth going over I guess anyway they were 
just a terrible shooting team, right? No spacing to speak of. And a team that was extremely dependent on scoring in the paint. You know, not so much from from long two, which I guess is good, but definitely at the rim in floater range. They were the the number two team in the league in terms of the percentage of their points scored uh, in the paint. They led the league in terms of the proportion of the field goal attempts that came from around the rim. You know, not necessarily because they were some great finishing team inside, uh, as they were 11th in field goal percentage in that area. Just a single percentage point above the dreadful Liberty and a whole 10 percentage points worse than the 10th ranked Dreams. So, you know, overall, not a good finishing team. But, you know, that's kind of how they had to get their scoring because they were not good at taking jump shots. Yeah, when you think about last year's Sun team, um, one of the first things I think of is is a team that struggles to shoot the ball, and that's when you when you lose players like Courtney Williams and Shakina Strickland, that'll happen, sure. But I think it also works uh, like another way. If if you're not if you don't have a front court player like John Quill Jones of, of John Quill Jones's caliber, it makes it a little easier for teams to you know single cover the post to uh, maybe make life a little more difficult uh, on the shooters. But uh, you know, honestly, you look at this roster and it's not. They just don't really have that. They just didn't really have that many players who were legitimate threats from the outside, and that was the thing that Stephen it really haunted the Sun for pretty much the entire season, especially from the two guard position. Yeah, for sure. And I mentioned that you know they they struggled finishing around the rim. They're they're good players. You know, they're front court players. They were all pretty solid in terms of finishing around the rim. But I I did want to go into some of these numbers. I probably should have done that before I segued, but. Jasmine Thomas, 21st percentile finishing around the basket in the half court. Natisha Heideman, 16th percentile. Uh, Bria Holmes, 12th percentile. Kyla Charles actually, you know, among their perimeter players outside of Bonner was probably their their best option in terms, you know, statistically. 27th percentile. You know, Brian January missed a lot of the season, didn't even, you know, have enough attempts to really, uh, you know, she didn't really get to the basket at all. Kind of to be expected, those numbers that I, I ran off, you know, none of those players are, are players that you really think of as plus finishers, you know, maybe Holmes coming into the season. But I, just to kind of, um, you know, build off the point that they were not a talented shooting team, you know, they were 12th overall in scoring out of the pick and roll, uh, including 12th in scoring from the pick and roll ball handlers, despite being third in frequency. And again, Bonner was pretty good there. Uh, she was sixth in total possessions in the league in 59th percentile. So you know, pretty respectable, but Jasmine Thomas, 12th in total possessions. So running a ton of pick and roll, Thomas was, and she was in the 22nd percentile, 490 true shooting overall for Thomas, the lowest among all starting point guards. January, Holmes, Charles, they combined for about 95 possessions trying to score out of the pick and roll, uh, finishing a play as the pick and roll ball handler. They were 21st, 16th, and 11th percentile respectively. So you just, outside of Bonner, had nobody that was really a threat to score from, from the guard position, you know, they were, uh, as a team, 11th in three point percentage, just over 31%. They were 10th in three point attempt rate, ninth in catch and shoot efficiency. They were 12th in jump shots in efficiency and jump shots off the dribble. Jasmine Thomas, 32nd percentile, Dewana Bonner, 35th percentile, ninth in spot up efficiency, you know, so not a team that was uh, uh, gifted really when it comes to, you know, spacing the floor and it almost became a kind of sort of a caricature of this team, uh, you know, despite some hot shooting games in the playoffs, you know, I think Thomas had one big game. I think Brian January had one big game. Um, but yeah, I think they were 11th on total jump shot efficiency and it, it, it killed them, I think. Would, would it be fair to say that the lack of spacing on the weak side contributed significantly to these these poor pick and roll percentiles i mean 
it definitely has something to do with it. But which of those players do you think is really like killing it in the pick and roll with a, an open court? You know what I mean? Well, like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't think even when the floor was a little bit more balanced in 2019, like Jasmine Thomas wasn't their best pick and roll player. Like Courtney Williams was really the one that had great pick and roll numbers. Um, so, I mean, it definitely didn't help, but I also don't think they really have the player to do that. I agree. I agree. Outside of Bonner, who was pretty good and, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to her season overall, but let, let's kind of get into, I guess, some of their, uh, we can quickly go through some of the defensive things that, that jumped out to me and we can kind of talk about, you know, the individual players, Defensively, they were bottom four in free throw attempt rate allowed, so really put their opponents on the line a ton. They were the third best rebounding team, which I think, you know, no surprise there when you have um, uh, Bree Jones and Dewana Bonner's a, a great rebounding three, Alyssa Thomas. They they forced a ton of turnovers, definitely something that I, I mean, I expect to continue, you know, even losing Alyssa Thomas, I think they'll continue to force a, a ton of turnovers, get a lot of uh, stocks, as we like to call them. They were second in steal percentage, according to her hoop stats. Uh, they were bottom four in proportion of shots allowed around the rim, and they gave up the third highest field goal percentage there. So, you know, kind of surprising. I think Bree Jones has a little bit of a, you know, uh, outsized reputation in terms of her defensive ability at center. I think that will improve now that John Quill Jones is back. Uh, and they did allow the lowest transition frequency in the league, which was a, a little bit surprising to me. But then you think about kind of the guards that they have are, are yeah. smart veteran guards who, you know, can, you know, know how to get back and, one other statistic that jumped out, 11th in defending the pick-and-roll roller, which I guess, you know, no surprise there. Bree Jones, for all her strengths, and she had a great offensive season, you know, getting out and defending in space is not necessarily one of them. So where, where should we go from here? Well, I mean, the, the next thing you have in your notes here is, is Brianna Jones's breakout season. She, uh, she got a very well-deserved contract extension from the Sun. Uh, you have some st- statistics here. 100th percentile as a post-up player. Not bad. Yeah, that was a, a little surprising to me. Um, I, I knew that she had done really well offensively, uh, and some of her kind of raw statistics definitely reflect that. But being the most efficient post-up player in the league was a little surprising for sure. 31st percentile as a roller. Um, you, you can kind of see that finishing on the catch, on the move like that is, is not as much of a not strength for Jones as just, you know, turning, turning left shoulder being a poster player, right? It's just a little bit more natural. It's um, and, that's something like it, it, I've been watching Brianna Jones for a few years, you know, from graduating from Maryland in the big 10. These, those two numbers are right on target for what I'd expect, you know, really, really good back to basket player. Not so good moving North South. Overall though, for Jones, 631 true shooting. I mean, that's outstanding, right? Ninth among qualified players. She was 60% shooting from two, uh, her two-point shooting was actually second among qualified players. Eric, do you want to guess who the number one player was? Um, two-point shooting. Sylvia Fowles? Uh, she didn't qualify. Oh, I didn't qualify. Okay, who was it? It was uh, the Sky Zone, Ruthie Hebert. Oh, oh, duh. I should, I should have guessed that. Yeah, if there's there one player in the league who's going to kill it from at the rim, that's, it's probably Ruthie. But yeah, Brianna Jones right up there as well. Not, not surprising. So her individual rebounding numbers, um, a great offensive rebounder still, you know, that was definitely one thing, even when she was not playing well earlier in her career, she was doing at, at an outstanding rate, over 12% offensive rebounding rate this season. That was good for fourth in the league. Her defensive numbers are, are not amazing, but I do think she's a plus on the defensive glass when you look at the rebounding numbers totally. for the team overall, for Bonner and Thomas, her ability as a box out presence is, is a positive for them on the glass. 
I think the one thing that jumped out to people about Bree Jones's season, you know, outside of the scoring was her defensive playmaking, I guess, you know, she was fifth in the league in steal percentage. She had more steals in 2020 than her total previously in her career. And she showed pretty good hands, right? She would kind of get out of position sometimes with those and that would lead to getting trouble. But there was a, a lot of possessions where, you know, even that didn't lead in steals where she was able to just kind of knock it away. So I think that was definitely a, a bright spot for Jones on the defensive end. One thing I wanted to ask you, like, do you think Bree Jones is a, a positive defensive player? Um, you know, obviously like she has some trouble defending in space, you know, can get blown by kind of a lot and, and her help instincts are, you know, questionable at times. Uh, I would say slight negative just because of that help and that, that um, poor defending in space. It's, it's, you know, I mean, she, I totally agree. She has, she has great hands, quicker hands than I think a lot of people would expect from a player of her archetype. But I think the, the combination of lack of defensive playmaking and, you know, lack of versatility and pick and roll defense kind of does her in. Although I will say, I, I don't, I don't think you can really isolate defensive rebounding from the equation here and she is a very good rebounder yeah or at least a, a good presence on the glass if, yeah, if yeah. even if her numbers don't necessarily you know she's not putting up eight rebounds a game or something like that um is there anything else you wanted to talk about about jones obviously we'll kind of talk about like the rotation and and how she's going to fit into it and, and kind of the the brie jones john quell fit but just in terms of like her season last year or uh do you think we should move on um, I mean, I, just just to summarize, we, we've both said this before, but um, I think she exceeded both of our expectations last year, uh, showed us some flashes of some things that we hadn't really seen previously or weren't really expecting from her. And uh, she definitely earned that, that what was it, 120000 over two years? She definitely earned that contract. I mean, she could have gotten significantly more from somebody else. Yeah, I mean, it, it was surprising to me that some other teams that need front court help didn't, you know, target her on maybe a, a similar short-term deal, but maybe with, with some higher dollar value there. You know, maybe, maybe well, can we, can we roll that out? Because she was restricted, right? So That's true. She could have come back to the Sun for, for less money. Uh, I mean, I, I just look at, you know, what Amanda Zowie B got, what Natalie Achanwa got. I was like, oh, Bree Jones for 120000 after the season she had. Seems kind of sketchy, but it's good for her. Yeah, I think Jones is a better player than both of those players, even if, you know, those players – bring with them uh, a little bit more versatility, I guess, as we've talked about before mm -hmm. with being able to kind of uh, space the floor a little bit more. So, I mean, I guess the, the natural place to go is Dewana Bonner's season, right? We, we talked about her up top. She was kind of the, their crown jewel of free agency. Um, there was kind of a lot of hype around the, the move. I, I was, uh, as I was kind of watching film for this, uh, one of the broadcasters, uh, it might've been Carolyn Peck, but I apologize if it wasn't called, Dewana Bonner, the face of Connecticut basketball now. I don't know if I would go that far necessarily, but um, yeah, obviously, a, you know, a super max deal coming into Connecticut on a sign-in trade. You know, what did you think of her first season in Connecticut and did the move work out, I guess? Uh, honestly, this might not be, this might be a little harsh, but I was a little underwhelmed. Uh, she was brought in to be this player who, at least from what I from my, what I read, was supposed to be this player who, you know, could go get her own shot in the half court when the defense – and I'm pretty sure we talked about this exact thing prior to the season, but she could go get her own shot when the offense bogged down, which is expected to happen fairly often in Connecticut, um, get to the free throw line, which, to be fair, she continued to do very well, and just be that number one option in the half court. And while, you know, the loss of John Quill Jones, I think, was, you know – you don't lose a, a front court player like John Quell and just have, have no qualms about it. 
while I, I just think that Bonner was not entirely efficient enough to really justify. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say justify because I think if, if, if you want to become a championship caliber team, you need to take a swing like that. And I mean, that, that happened prior to the season getting canceled. So I don't think you can say, well, it didn't work out because I think the process behind the move was good. The result thus far might not have been as what the sun desired. And then of course, going along with this, what's going to happen this season, Alyssa Thomas is out. So, I mean, it stinks. I, but going back in time, would I make that move again if I was Kurt Miller? Yeah. So let's go through some of the numbers here. 535 true shooting for Bonner in her first season. That was the fourth lowest of her career. Not amazing, but uh, still third on the Surrey offense that Connecticut had. The lowest three-point percentage of her career, if you remove the 13 threes she took as a rookie. And I mean, like there's so much to talk about with like the three-point shooting for Dewana Bonner. She makes a decent amount just in terms of like the raw number of, of threes. You know, she's taking over a thousand threes in her career, you know, made uh, just under 30%. And I want to say that, you know, she just doesn't have the kind of versatility to her jump shot that she thinks she does in terms of, you know, coming off flare screens or uh, pulling up in the pick and roll. You know, I think I made the case last year in our show that she's been a pretty decent three-point shooter her last few years in Phoenix, her last three years, if you just remove like the 25 plus footers that she was around 33% from three point, but inside 25 feet for those three years. And and that's pretty respectable. Um, And, you know, maybe she would just be fine as like a no dribble catch and shoot in rhythm three point shooter, but, you know, flaring out for the screens and stuff like that, that I mentioned before, there's just not effective elements for her, but, you know, I'm I'm adding in all these kind of conditionals, right. When she just might be a below average three point shooter who has made enough in her career to just kind of really have the confidence to take that shot a lot. And and she'll make a few in a row for sure. Right. She's not like incapable of shooting threes, but you know, the, maybe the percentage just isn't there in terms of justifying her taking a lot of three point shots. Well, Steven, um, you, th- that's, that's one thing that the, the percentages aren't at very high. And what's the one thing we always talk about in order to be a threat from outside, you need to just take them. She's not, do you think she's a player who I, I feel like she's not really, that well-respected out there? I mean, she's not an owner. Oh, but she's not ignored right? either. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean... So maybe within not, the context no, no. of being, like, a number one option, it's like, well, yeah, this, this, is, this isn't good. But if you have Alyssa Thomas and John Cole Jones and Dewana Bonner is not being totally hoarded by the... Like, the defense isn't swarming all over her, maybe it's a little more acceptable. I don't know. What one other thing about her three-point shooting of the 48 players in WNBA history to take at least 853s. Dewana Bonner is uh, the only player to not crack 30% of those 48 players. So uh, otherwise, you know, as an individual scorer, I, I think the season was fine for her. Like obviously 535 is not amazing true shooting, but it's okay. She is certainly overstretched. I think being the clear number one option on a team with you know, real title aspirations, but she did score the highest points per 36 minutes of her career. She still finished really, really well around the basket, 62% within five feet, 52nd percentile around the basket in the half court, her 119 possessions around the rim in the half court on non post ups, of course, were second in the entire WNBA behind just Elizabeth Williams. So she was Hmm. far and away the number one wing, just in terms of her volume of getting to the cup, right? Like that's that's really interesting because I, I wouldn't expect a wing player and then a a front court player like a, a strictly a shot around the basket player like Liz. I wouldn't expect that to those two to be so close together like at the top there. 
Yeah. So, and if you take away her three point shooting, which is a huge part of her game, right? So, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, she's more effective than her numbers because all those missed shots definitely still count, but she was almost a 60% true shooting player. If you take away the threes, just in terms of, you know, her two point scoring and getting to the free throw line. So, you know, maybe that's something that Kurt Miller can, I mean, they, they need as, as much shooting as they can get, obviously from behind the line, but when you're shooting, you know, 27, 28% from down there or 25, like Bonner did last season, you know, it's worth considering if maybe she should just kind of remove that from her game. That's an interesting thought. And I, I'd like to bring, remind me to bring that back up when uh, we're talking about how this roster is going to look in 2021. Because if you have a player who can score like that at the rim that's efficiently and that often, I mean, yeah, well, you need as much shooting as you can get, but you just need as much scoring as you can get, like like full stop. And it's interesting to see that, that, that Bonner, while she had kind of a mediocre season efficiency-wise, she was still that good at the rim. Some other numbers here that maybe suggest that she should consider uh, altering some of her shot diet a little bit. In terms of her total pick and roll possessions, where she takes a dribble jumper, either going into the screen or going away from the screen, she scored 51 points on 60 possessions, good 4.85 points per possession, so not very good. When she takes it to the basket, 54 points on 43 possessions, so 1.2 points per possession. We've mentioned it before as well, you know, when the competition got a little bit harder, you know, got got better, uh, she she got worse, right? She kind of underwhelmed in the Vegas series, that's fair to say, right? Yeah, I'm not sure if that would have to do with, you know, conditioning because the Sun team, as we talked about throughout the season, they just seemed like their legs were, were tired a lot, of the, a lot of the time, which is understandable. But uh, a player of Bonner's age playing that many minutes with this kind of offensive workload. Yeah, and conditioning definitely came into maybe the most head-scratching play of the entire season for Dewana Bonner. Uh, why, why don't I just get into it now? We, yeah. I think we all remember it. I mean, this was just an amazing... Uh, and I think overall, like the basketball IQ and the decision-making, you know, from me watching Duana Bonner in Connecticut was a little bit more disappointing than, than I kind of realized uh, it would be, you know, as kind of a career, like third banana in Phoenix, right? Where she wasn't obviously the, the number one option. So the one that sticks out the most, besides all kind of like the missed passes, which I think there were a ton of, you know, missed opportunities, having the ball in, in her hands as much as she did, you know, she, she definitely missed some there. But the awful Euro foul in the playoffs against Vegas, it, it's game five of the semifinals. Uh, so obviously the stakes speak for themselves. Connecticut gets out to this big lead and, and slowly chokes it away. Bonner has one foul already and, and Connecticut has three team fouls. So Bonner gives their last foul to give with a minute 58 left in the half. Uh, you know, just as a, it's a Euro foul just to get a timeout. So she, that that's their last foul to give and, and she commits an offensive foul the next trip down. So she went from having one foul to three fouls in about 10 seconds. I mean, we talk about the dumb fouls that Griner uh, gives pretty often, but this was maybe one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in a basketball game. And it's coming from your 11 year vet, super max player face of the franchise. It was weighing the circumstances. It's yeah. But more, more about kind of her efficiency in the playoffs. Uh, So she, she, I mean, you know, don't want to, uh, uh, salt any open wounds for you here, Eric, but 23 points on 16 shooting possessions in their first playoff game against Chicago. She managed to get to the line for 13 free throw attempts in that game and the, the remainder of the playoffs, 43% true shooting, which is not very good, down from a full 10 points from her regular season number, as we mentioned before, and 19 total free throw attempts for the remaining six games after getting to the line 13 times against Chicago. 
She went six for 26 from three in the Vegas series and didn't break 40% shooting in a single game in that series. And, you know, her and McCautry kind of both really got off to slower starts to that series. And, you know, McCautry kind of came around and, and really was the difference maker for Vegas in a way that Bonner wasn't really able to be for Connecticut. Yeah. That's the one th- that's, that's one of the things that I remember most about that series was that um, McCartry did come on pretty strong at the end. I think that kind of took that minutes restriction off the last couple of games and McCartry really delivered and Bonner just didn't match it. I mean, so all that being said, like overall for a career third banana playing without this team's best player in John Quill Jones, in my opinion, you know, playing next to a roster full of offensively below average guards and two front court players, you know, sharing the majority of her minutes next to Alyssa Thomas and Bree Jones, who are good players for sure, very valuable players, but completely paint bound. I, I think she kind of had as effective as a season overall as you could, you know, kind of hope for. You know, I, I did talk about some missed opportunities as a passer. You know, she is a good pick and roll scorer, but as a pick and roll player, she isn't a distributor really, right? Like she's just going to miss a lot yeah. of opportunities as a passer. Uh, she'll miss opportunities as a passer in transition, you know, so just not a strength of her game. But I mean, in my opinion, like, you know, Dewana Bonner wasn't really the reason this team was a bad offense, you know, overall in the regular season. God, no. I mean, it's especially in the early, in the early going when they couldn't get anything like from their perimeter beyond Dewana Bonner. I mean, she, without this, without the Bonner, I, I shudder to think where this team would be ranking, especially on offense. Yeah, sure. So did you want to, anything else you want to hit on about Bonner? Well, we've got this nice, uh, this you know, our, our friend Curtis over at uh, Across the Timeline, which is an amazing WNBA and women's basketball resource. If you haven't checked it out already, please do and so. Let, let me just jump in. I, I've been off uh, social media for the past few weeks. Um, so I go to Across the Timeline several times every day just to make sure I'm not missing any news. So uh, please support Curtis's work. Yeah, he does really great work. He actually... Um, he, I don't know if he's if he's reading our emails or our texts or something, but he actually has a new feature on across the timeline a uh, a splits a split section for each player. And basically, what that means is you can you can go to each WNBA player and kind of sort their stats by situation. And the specific example, one of the specific examples he used when he was announcing this feature, is Dewana Bonner's usage, which is something we talk about all the time. So I don't know, Curtis, if you listen to our podcast. Thank you very much. If you don't, that's okay too, because you still offer a great resource here. Um, I thought this was awesome. It kind of, it kind of flies in in the face of what we have been assuming of Duana Bonner though. In in what regard? Because, well, there's no, as you have here, there's no direct correlation between usage and efficiency for Bonner and scoring efficiency, I should say. Yeah. And it's not like it it climbs one way or the other. It's just kind of, you know, steady or, or, uh, uh, jumps up and down between because it's kind of broken up into blocks, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. under 15% usage, 15 to 20% usage for anyone that hasn't checked it out, you know, definitely check it out. Cause it's awesome. One thing that did jump out to me uh, just in terms of like her own offense is that she is able to kind of, it seems just kind of based on this tool and, and the numbers behind it is she's, she's able to kind of get in her bag offensively regarding like leveraging her fall seeking behavior. You know, the more she has the ball, right. Her free throw attempt rate climbs as her usage climbs and she's not, you know, a physically dominant player who's, uh, you know, we, we talk about some players like uh, like a, an aerial powers or someone who's really kind of getting to the line with strength. You know, Bonner is a little bit more uh, behavior-based, right? Like, that's not unfair to say. <laughs> that's a very diplomatic way of putting it. But I mean, look at this. Oh, my God. When, when Bonner's usage was above 35%, her free throw rate was 0.455. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. That's really good. Also, 
interesting that her rebounding rate climbs as her usage climbs. You know, one would think maybe that it would have the opposite effect as you're just kind of exerting your your energy in other places, but obviously she remains engaged or, or is able to, I guess, become more engaged as, as a rebounder as she's kind of more involved in the offense, you know, chasing down rebounds a, a little bit more. So that, that was another interesting one for me. Ah, but look at this. Her assist to turnover ratio plummets. Yeah, that, that was also one. There you go. Okay. Yeah, this is really cool. Um, I We're definitely going to be using this resource again and again and again in the future. Um, and I'd highly recommend anybody who loves stats to uh, really check this out at across the timeline. Uh, so I wanted to also talk about Brian January's first season because it, it was definitely disappointing, you know, by the numbers offensively. It was the, uh, and at first, you know, just some context, I guess. Uh, January did miss a, a large portion of the season as she was recovered f- recovering from COVID. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that kind of had an effect on her conditioning and, and everything like that. Uh, lowest usage of January's career, which I don't ne- necessarily think is a bad thing at this point in her career, but um, career low by a pretty comfortable margin in terms of her true shooting percentage, uh, despite shooting a respectable 35% on threes, you know, given pretty low attempts there, but she made only 25% of her two point shots and took just 12 free throws for the entire season. I have a lot more, but any, any comment on that? Didn't, wasn't, were we kind of expecting that though? I feel like we said something like, yeah, at this point in her career, she's probably not going to be doing much inside the three point line. I mean, that's true, but you know, 25% she, on two points is just, yeah, she, no. she was always kind of, uh, or at least has been recently, like, um, you know, instead of the flyby sidestep, she would be a flyby, take two dribbles in and, and take kind of like, you know, an 18 footer or something. So to only make mm-hmm. 25% of her twos, I think was a, a little surprising. That's a really low number, obviously. She's a better jump shooter than that. even if, Yeah. Like, but despite that, you know, they were really good when she was on the court, right? The starting five in particular, once she got back out there with her, with the two Thomases, Bonner, Bree Jones, they had a plus 28 net rating. You know, granted it wasn't huge minutes, obviously, because the season was short and January missed so much time, but that's still a, a huge number for a five-player lineup that played as much as they did. You know, I think the quote-unquote intangibles with her were, were really tangible, right? The ball just moved mm-hmm. so much better. Like, she's not an amazing passer, but she's like, you know, a professional basketball guard who has played point guard at a high level. She definitely gives you more than anybody else that would have been playing that position next to Jasmine Thomas, you know, that kind of two guard spot. She's a respected floor spacer, you know, up until those last three games of the Vegas series. I I don't know if you remember this, Eric, but they were kind of just like daring her to shoot those threes, you know, just absolutely leaving her alone. And she went two for 15 to close out that series. So uh, it it paid off. Yeah. Um, She was awesome defensively. I thought a great compliment to Jasmine Thomas, you know, Jasmine Thomas is in my opinion, should be defending the point of attack. January really gave them something strong as like a lock and trail defender chasing shooters around screens. You know, she got torched by uh, Chicago's Allie Quigley in that first round, but I thought she did a really, really great job against Kayla McBride, you know, even though McBride had a couple of good games of her own, but you know, January gave them every outside of, you know, being an efficient offensive player. She gave them pretty much everything that they could have hoped for uh, from January. And I think her, her best offensive days are behind her, but I do expect her to be, uh, better than she was last year. You know, she's one of the most prolific three-point shooters in WNBA history, amazingly. Uh, 38% career three-point shooter on 870 attempts. There's essentially eight players that kind of match that same volume and efficiency in the history of the league. So, you know, given the the COVID absence and, you know, I think when you have that type of, I mean, I've never had COVID obviously, but when you kind of have that type of layoff and, you know, we've heard some players in both the, the men's league and the women's league, I think talk about, 
the effect it has on your conditioning. Right. Uh, you know, you, you understand just her not having her legs underneath her, even though she's kind of renowned for, you know, being in such amazing shape. But she was playing the lowest minute totals um, since she became a starter last season. Uh, so, you know, even though I, her, her shooting numbers were not amazing, but I imagine she'll be closer to, you know, what she was previously, you know, probably not leading the league in three-point shooting like she was in, in 2019, but, you know, right around that 38% or hopefully at least. Yeah, I mean, when I think of Brianna January's season, it, it really does go back to the whole intangibles being tangible because even though she struggled to shoot the ball from inside the three-point line, I mean, I, I believe her return or her insertion to the starting lineup kind of correlated with that winning streak the Sun went on, didn't it? Yeah, for or sure. It was I around think. that time. Yeah. I mean, it was so obvious why. You, you, said, you said it well. Um, she just gave them another player who could handle the ball and make good decisions with the basketball. And sometimes that's all it really takes, you know, and, and then just loading up on defense even more than they already were. And I am really, I'm interested to see how she's going to perform next season when she does have her legs back underneath her, when they have a, a big in John Quell who can consistently demand double teams and maybe get her more of those open three point shots. She might be a little more of a one dimensional player than she was in the past, at least scoring wise, but she's still, she's still going to be a big threat from outside and she's still going to be, one of the peskiest defenders in the game on, on defense. So, yeah. And they, they need that dimension, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. So even if like, like uh, this probably isn't ideal, but it's something that the Sun are going to have to roll with a Jasmine Thomas and Brian January backcourt does have its strengths. Mainly. So, yeah. Defense. Yeah. Um, and spot up shooting, you know, yeah. Thomas, I, I think is uh, a limited offensive player in my opinion, you know, no disrespect. Uh, I, I love Jasmine Thomas. Glad she's back with the sun, but uh, you know, the, the numbers bear themselves out, right? But as a catch-and-shoot player, she's she's really, really solid. She's um, gotten so much better at that, too. Yeah. Like, there was a time in the week – there was a time when Jasmine Thomas, like, you could just ignore her. But when she's got her feet set and she's she's got time to shoot it, I mean, she's pretty good. Uh, so I wanted to dive into some of their young players, the rookies specifically, but also maybe Heidemann. Can you refresh me? Do you, do you remember how you kind of felt about Charles and Mom Premier, you know, coming out of school? I feel like you were a, a Charles guy, but I can't yeah. – I liked Kyla Charles. I thought her senior season was a little disappointing because she didn't add the three-point shot at Maryland. Um, and I, thought, I felt like that was, in order to have a lot of pro success, she'd be, need to be able to do that. She didn't really <laughs> show that she was a great three-point shooter. But considering this was her first season, not only as a pro, but as a pro who was asked to be taking three-point shots, I mean, it's understandable. I liked her because she's a big wing. She's a big wing who can get to the cup and get to the free-throw line. Finishing numbers, as you saw, as you said previously, were not great. But I think she's got maybe not the highest ceiling, but she's just really solid, you know, both as an athlete and, uh, you know, as a player with, with potential. You know, she's a, she's a wing who can get on a run. She can get to the rim. Um, has the tools to become a pretty decent defender, I think. And then as far as Ma Premier, um, well, let's let's say on Charles if you don't mind. Okay, yeah. You, know, you mentioned the callback to her finishing numbers. Yeah, they weren't great, but like you definitely saw the promise, right? Just in terms of her being able to kind of use her size and oh yeah, to finish. Yeah, she's through. strong. Yeah, and we definitely saw that in her rookie year. Like a lot, you know, some of the misses that she had were kind of uh, finesse misses more so than you know. I think her best moments were when she was kind of going through players uh, at her position you know, she really would use that strength to kind of displace her, her defender and, and finish in the air. And I thought that was a really encouraging uh, aspect of her game. Um, the shooting volume, you know, she was 11 for 30 from three. So, you know, the percentage is, is not bad, but obviously the volume isn't there. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that, you know, if it's 
if she's going to be a three-point shooter, it's going to be kind of as like a, a more standstill three-point shooter. The form doesn't look amazing. You know, she has some pretty ugly misses. She she didn't really shoot particularly well on two-point jumpers or from the free throw line. You know, she does have a, a big old dip in her release. So, you know, the off-the-dribble shot is not very effective at this point. I, I do kind of feel like even with that decent percentage for 11 for 30, like the misses seem to me to be a little bit more indicative of, of kind of uh, the makes, you know, in terms of like her ability as a shooter, right? Because they, they are uh, not very good, I guess. But you, you mentioned her as a defender, like she was a rookie defender, right? She had some, some boneheaded mistakes and she kind of got too aggressive at times and, and blown by some players that she maybe should have just been a little bit more conservative on. But, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot to like with, with her tools, right? The, the thing about this is, uh, I think it's important context. Her senior season at Maryland, they kind of overhauled their system to where they were turning defense into offense at an insane rate. And maybe like they didn't put as much emphasis on half court offense as they did and just, <laughs> just being faster and stronger than everybody else. So maybe this isn't a great fit for her. You know, it, it, we talk about, you know, transition in the sun, their transition numbers weren't as weren't where you'd want them to be last season, especially considering their half court limitations. And maybe that's why Kyla Charles in a vacuum might struggle as a young player on a team that doesn't really, you know, that isn't able to get her out there, get her out and run. But I, I agree. I think there is a lot to like here on both ends of the floor. And I think she can at least have a, have a bench role on this team. As a starter, I don't think I'm not sold on her yet, but that may just be the direction in which I don't have to go for now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think she's necessarily a starting caliber player, but I, I think she should start for this team and we can get into that uh, in a little bit, but um, how about mom premier? How did you feel about her coming out of this? Was this another player that you were high on? I feel like you did. I I think I actually wanted the sky to draft her um, because it's an athlete's league for the most part. And mom premier is a really good athlete in the front court. She, she runs the court like a gazelle. She gives great offense or she gives great effort on the glass. And you can just see, I mean, she's got the long arm. She's got the long legs. She's got, you know, her help defense, maybe not that great yet, but she needs to learn. But that's with almost every front court player. They need to learn how to defend pick and rolls, and they need to learn how to defend in space. And when you're a college player uh, who's taller than everybody else and just gets told, okay, run rim to rim and, and wait for the ball and, and finish and jump over everybody, that's going to be quite the transition. I think Mon Premier was somewhat a victim of this transition. Inconsistent playing time, but I think she was – pretty decent all things considered yeah i agree what i I liked uh that that she was pretty good at finishing with both hands uh you know not afraid to go up with the left and we talked last week about you know brianna turner and obviously turner's a a better player at this point but we talked about turner offensively and how turner really plays within herself never tries to do too much that's what mom premier should be going for at this point you know she should 100 percent be be a play finisher 100 percent of her shots should pretty much come at the rim you know anything where she was trying to create for herself against WNBA players just did not go well last year. You know, the face-up game, the jump shot, the post-up game. I think at least for now, you know, while she's kind of in this development phase, that should all be eliminated from her WNBA repertoire for the time being, especially if she's on a team trying to win. You know, maybe she's on a a team with a little bit more of a developmental mindset. Uh, You know, you can kind of introduce those elements. But three for 13 on jump shots, one point on 10 post-ups, and it should be noted, right? It's not just the numbers. Like if you just go watch the film, these, these things all just kind of look pretty bad. So she's, she's raw. She's raw. And that, that, that was my main question about her. Like, will she be able to play in the WNBA immediately? Because she doesn't really have a go-to post move. 
she may be playing a little fast for her own good. And that's, as you said, it was a little ugly sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I think that's, that was highlighted. I think early in her playing time, she would, she would just go back up with every single offensive rebound. Right. Uh, she, her first like 20 yeah. offensive rebounds, I think she passed it out like five times and turned it over three of those times. And, and you could tell watching them like over the period of time as she got more playing time, it was a real coaching emphasis to, hey, maybe uh, throw this out once in a while, you know, uh, pass it out when, when you get one of those offensive rebounds. But like you said, she definitely had some great moments sprinting the length of the floor, getting out in transition. Uh, I think those are kind of when she looked at her best. And I think her one, I guess her shining moment as a WNBA player in her rookie season was in the playoffs, right? When she had some really nice moments defending one-on-one against Asia Wilson, you know, when all of Connecticut's other options were pretty much getting into fall trouble. Mom premiere for, you know, her, all of her weaknesses as a, a rookie team defender, right? Like that, that's obviously not going to be a strength, but her length and her ability to not have to overcommit to contest Wilson. Um, you know, she had some really nice moments there. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the physicality and the frame in particular of Montpremier were, I think her main selling points, at least for me, she, she seems like a, a front court player who you could, you could really mold into a solid energy rebounding defensive, but you know, the, the classic hustle, hustle front court player and she did a really good job against Asia because I mean she was just able to stay long you know just just stay long you're not going to block the shot just bother the shot yeah exactly so you know we don't have to spend too much time on, on some of the other young players that they had but um, coming into this season they, they've got some a couple of new players they brought in Kamaya Smalls, Sydney Wallace, and Morgan Birch on training camp deals not all of those players will make the team they're, they're getting John Quo Jones back as we mentioned and their departures Bria Holmes, Essence Carson, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, and Teresa Plaisance. So, I mean, of those players, I think Carson is probably the one that they'll really miss just as a proven veteran who, like the other team knows, can hit a shot at some points. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they've got some questions in terms of the back end of their roster. Uh, You know, I, I think my starting five for this team would definitely be Thomas in January, Kyla Charles at the small forward with Bonner at the four and then John Quell obviously at the five. Do you think they'll go that way? Do you think they'll start John Quell and Bree Jones together? I mean, I think Kurt Miller did allude to, he did say that was something they were looking into, right? I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I know we've talked about this before. I just, once again, I don't like displacing your best player just so an inferior player can, can play at her natural position. I don't think that's good strategy. And you know, I think, and then Bonner to an extent, I think offensively she'd fit on this team more as a better as a four than a three. So you, you would lean kind of what I was saying. With yes, a, a, yeah, I would. Okay. And, and as far as the backcourt is concerned, I don't, I don't think you can get away from Jasmine Thomas and Brian January just because it worked so well last year. And otherwise you have a lot of unproven and or young players coming in who would kind of try to fit their way in the starting. Yeah. I, I think if you're starting Charles, then that's, that's fine. I mean, I don't think there's anything else you can really do there. But other than that, I think you need to go with just what you know is going to work. And that would be Thomas in January in the backcourt and then Bonner and John Quill in the frontcourt. Yeah. So in terms of kind of the rest of their rotation, you know, I imagine Heidemann and Smalls are near locks to make the team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think Mon Premier will, will make the team. I'd say she's probably the least likely of those non rookies, but I would still really count on her unless they, kind of really love what they see out of both. I mean, out of, I guess, two of Morgan Birch, Sydney Wallace, 
and their two second round picks that they have. Uh, they, they can't afford both second round picks. They kind of have to go with one of those uh, final training camp contracts, either Wallace or Birch. They're, they'll pretty much roll with 10 healthy players, right? With, with 18. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is the other problem with Alyssa Thomas not playing is you're, you're paying her not to play. And <laughs> that's a lot of money to pay a player not to play. And I mean, you can only field a 10 player roster. So I, I think what I would like to see them do, this is, this, it seems like a bad situation and it is, but there are ways they can salvage it. I think because they have like the, the training camp players they can, they, they've brought in and the, the potential player, the potential draftees as well. They can focus on one specific like skill set. We've already seen it from the, from the players they've signed in um, Smalls and Wallace and maybe Birch to an extent, they're all players who can shoot. You know, Birch, I didn't. I admit my mid-major game is lacking severely, but she seems to be looking at her overseas stats. She seems to be developing into a type of player who can at least make a shot from the outside, and you really do need at least one of those players as, as, as a, a stretch big in, in today's game. Plus, I don't think Bonner is really a big, you know. I, I, I think offensively she's best played as a four, but – I mean, ugh, when she's when she's going up against players like Asia Wilson, like you, you don't want that. So otherwise, I mean, I think I agree. You you got to keep Ron Premier just because you need a backup big just in case something goes awry. And then it would be between Wallace and Smalls probably. Just which which off guard can make more threes in training camp, I guess. And I I think I agree. I, th- I think Heidemann is is pretty much a lock because I just just as another ball handler, you know. Although. She functions as, as more of an off guard than a point guard, doesn't she? Yeah, I would say she's she's more of a two offensively, a, a point guard defensively. Okay. But here's the thing, like they they don't have a real power forward on the roster, right? Like yeah. you are going to have to play even if you play Bonner at the four and you hold on to Birch, like um you're gonna have to play as much as neither of us like it, some some John Quill Jones, Bree Jones lineup combinations just because they, yeah. you, you don't, I mean, the thing is like minimizing those lineups, right? Like playing them, I guess, as, as seldomly as, as you can and going more with the, the Bonner at the four. And obviously Bonner played a ton of minutes last year. And I imagine she will again this year, but I mean, there's no doubt in a vacuum that Bree Jones is like a better player right now than Kyla Charles, but I think Charles just makes so much more sense with this lineup and unlocking Bonner at the four and like you said you know maximize your best player like don't displace your best player to placate your fifth best player or your fourth best player Uh, I would definitely you know this is something I talked about last season but want to keep one of January and and Thomas on the court at all times like keep a a real point guard uh, someone who can handle the ball who has run a a pro offense you know the Heidemann Smalls uh, backcourt like I, I just see Kurt Miller like running that for eight minutes a game and just getting killed every single time. <laughs> I mean, do you think having both of those players specifically on this team makes sense or, or would you lean towards giving a, a roster spot to someone else? Mm. At this point? No, I, I think you're probably fine. Um, I have not seen Sydney Wallace play since college. And that was a long time ago. Uh, and smalls did show some things when she was in Indiana last season. Although the samples, the sample size wasn't very large. I think she, she's what, like five ten, five eleven. And that's pretty good size for for an off guard who, if her main role is just to shoot threes, I'll take that, you know. And and I think it also depends on on who falls to them at, at, uh, at in their draft. They've only got picks number what twenty one and twenty two, I think. Uh, twenty and twenty one, I think. Twenty uh, close enough. Twenty and twenty one. Um, I mean there there should be a few wings who can shoot. Like I've got Dejanay Carrington from Baylor, Selena Lott from Marquette. 
Kayla Wells from Texas A&M seems like a Kurt Miller type of player. It could also go with like a skilled big, like maybe a Chelsea Perry from UT Martin or a, a Maya Hollingshed from Colorado. Something like that who would give them an actual power forward, as you were saying. Because they've got like so many paint-bound players on this team right now. It would at least kind of scoot them away from that that Jones and Jones front court. But at this point, I don't think, like I said, whoever makes this team at the end of the bench is just going to be optimizing the rest of their players. Unless something goes catastrophically wrong and this these end of the bench players need to play significant minutes. And that might be, and that might be. You know, because what happened last season, Bria Holmes was gifted a spot in the starting lineup and she did absolutely nothing. So someone like Kyla Charles had to come in and was basically thrown into the fire later in the season, right? So you, you can't, I mean, it just stinks. They've only got 10 spots. So I don't know. It's, it's not a very fun situation, but like I said, it's, there are ways they can kind of mold their roster to be as, as optimized as it can be, I guess. Uh, so what do you see as the, the strengths of this roster coming into the season? Well, uh, rebounding. Obviously, with, with both John Quell and Brianna Jones, both good rebounders for their position. Um, and then I can't believe I forgot this the first go-around. Perimeter defense is going to be awesome because you're going to have Jasmine Thomas, Brianna in January, and Dewana Bonner. And maybe if, if Charles takes a leap, maybe her as well. You know, I mean, there's, that's a really, really solid core of perimeter defenders. Who, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny because when Kurt Miller was originally hired as the Sun coach, he was this, uh, you know, forward-thinking offensive mind who loved to run pick and rolls, who loved to space the floor. And it seems like every year his roster goes deeper and deeper into knife fight territory where, you know, the, the score has to be as low as possible where you're just battling on every single possession just to get two points through physicality and hard work. But um, like it or not, that's the identity of this team. And they certainly have their perimeter defense to at least make that work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I wonder if, um, I mean, I think rebounding will be a strength, but if they play John Quell at the five and Bonner at the four, like if that's kind of your, your go-to lineup, I, I mean, that is a little bit smaller. Um, it is. So I think it will still be a, a strength or, or at least not a weakness. I don't think they'll get killed on the glass. They're going to miss Alyssa Thomas and, and rebounding. Yeah, I, I particularly think offensive rebounding will be a strength for them, even if they do play Bonner at the four. They were second in re- offensive rebound rate last season. They're getting J.J. back, who's been in the top five in offensive rebound rate really every strong, season yeah. of her career. Bree Jones is an off- awesome offensive rebounder. Defensive playmaking, I think forcing turnovers. You know, you are losing something with Alyssa Thomas being out, but Jasmine Thomas, you know, great steals player. John Quell Jones, uh, Bree Jones, you know, we, we mentioned her steals. John Quell, one of the leaders in block percentage her last uh, season in the WNBA. I think post-up offense will be a strength as, uh, you know, depending on, you know, what, what they kind of run out there. But if, if one of JJ or, or Bree Jones are on the floor at all times, you have someone you can kind of dump it down to, especially if Bree Jones is like playing against backups, you know, mm-hmm. I think she can, she can really go to work there. Uh, center and point guard depth, you know, you should have, a pretty capable player playing the point guard or the center pretty much at all times. Anything else really jump out to you as, as a strength? No. Oh, I no. think uh, scoring at the basket should probably be uh, a little bit more of a strength. You know, Alyssa Thomas isn't the, the greatest finisher in terms of her efficiency, but uh, you know, we talked about how good Bonner is, you know, John Quell has been extremely effective around the rim in her career. Bree Jones, when she gets posting up, especially like I said, if she's against backups. Um, uh, so I think, you know, scoring right at the front of the rim should uh, even if shooting is not necessarily going to be a strength. Um, should we move on to their weaknesses? Yeah, there are a few. Uh, a perimeter, uh, perimeter shooting, obviously, that's not going to go away. And, 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 and perimeter, like, driving and scoring, too. 
beyond Duana, besides Duana Bonner. Yeah, they don't really have um, another, they don't have a guard who's really going to dribble penetrate, right? No. Especially in the half court. Half court scoring, I think, overall is probably going to yeah, be. Yeah, that's, that's probably an easier way to put it. I mean, half court scoring, how are they going to score in the half court unless it's Duana Bonner getting the free throw line or one of the Joneses getting an offensive rebound? Uh, playmaking for others, I, I imagine that'll be a weakness. You know, they they have, I guess, mm-hmm. decent collective passing, but I mean, who are the great passers on this roster? It's like they've got plenty of game management, but they don't have much of you know getting your teammates better looks. Yeah, no real dynamic options there. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I actually don't think this team has a ton of weaknesses. Their weaknesses are just very like they're so they glaring. Have, yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, what do you think about? this team's chances this season like do you do you think they'll be better than in in 2020 no i don't because i think well for one i think most of the uh, most of the league is going to be better and that's something that we're just going to have to we're, we're probably going to be bringing up again and again and again as we go forward with these with these outlooks what i'm interested in seeing is a team with noel lisa thomas and john cole jones versus last year's team with no john cole jones but having Alyssa thomas how would you compare those two i mean i think so I think John Quill Jones is a better player, right? I, I do. But I, I think it is a little bit of a floor raiser, ceiling raiser type thing. Like I, I think John Quell, you know, she she fits into a championship team, I think, a championship situation easier than Alyssa Thomas. She can play with pretty much any any type of power forward, whereas Alyssa Thomas, like her ideal front court mate is a, a John Quill Jones, right? Because she has a very specific game, very specific skill set. You know, she's a little undersized for a four, but, you know, Alyssa Thomas, just because of what she brings in transition, her, her endurance, you know, she'll, she'll go the full 40. Like you're, you're never going to see John Quill Jones go a 40 minute playoff no. game. Her, her defensive playmaking, her defensive versatility, being able to get out in, in the perimeter, her, her intensity, I think is she's a classic kind of floor raiser at this point in her career. You know, she, she's a, a great player, a top 20 player, but I do think she's, She's more the floor raiser, and I think John Quell is more the ceiling raiser. So, you know, I think a team with title aspirations, you know, John Quell probably makes a little bit more sense. But this team, you know, that that needs a floor raiser because I don't think they're necessarily a lock to be very good. Uh, I th- I think they'll miss Alyssa Thomas this year, maybe more than JJ. But I could definitely see myself being wrong, right? Like JJ is just a very unique player. You know, maybe just has an awesome season. It's very possible. I mean, I think her without Alyssa Thomas, her usage is going to be is going to be higher. Uh, well, this this kind of um, plays off of you know, no Alyssa Thomas. I'm curious to see like how fast they actually play because in the past, it feels like it was either transition or nothing for this team. And Alyssa Thomas is year in and year out one of the highest frequency transition players in the league. Now that she's out of the equation, how often are they going to be able to get out and run? I mean, they're they're still going to need to, right? Because this yeah, is- that's the thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's going to be a necessity now more than ever. But they've taken one of the best transition players in the league out of the equation. They're going to miss it, I think, for sure. I think their their frequency will uh, suffer for that loss, and and I I don't think they'll be a very good offense. You know, either way, right? Whether they they run or they don't. But so you know, overall, like I think offensively, like maybe this team can, maybe, maybe they can get to league average on offense. If they just minimize that kind of too big combo, you know, the Jones Jones combination, if they, I mean, they'll have to play them some, right. They, they just don't have any of their options, but Birch maybe gives them something or they find just another stretch for one of those options you mentioned in, in the draft, but you know, maybe Bonner with the ball in her hands, you know, she'll have some more room to operate as playing the four playing next to John Quill Jones, not, surrounded by those those two paint bound 
bigs, you know, maybe the ball pings around a little bit better than it did last year with a full season of, of January as kind of like that secondary tertiary player. I mean, if John Cole Jones gets back to like 2017, 18 efficiency offensively, which I mean, do you think those days are just behind her? John Quill? No. No, I think she just had a, a less efficient season scoring the basketball in 2019. Okay. So, and she was uh, 634 and 656 true shooting those two seasons before the big drop in 2019, which I feel like, you know, she got a lot of, um, especially early in the season, you know, before Elena Deladon really just kind of took a stranglehold of that award. You know, she was the, the early, early front runner, which of course fizzled out. But she's going to have to get back, in my opinion, to kind of what makes her good rather than some of the stuff that we've talked about her doing that maybe she wants to do but isn't good at, right? Uh-huh. 15 jump shots total off the dribble in 2017, 40 in 2019. She rolled to the basket 52% of the time in 2017, 37% of the time in 2019. So we saw a big drop off there in terms of popping out rather than rolling. Four for 16 on step backs in 2019, just three for four. Uh, in 2017. Yeah, it's only 16 possessions, but yeah, I mean, those 16 possessions are essentially it's wasted. It's a wasted shot. 23 turnaround jumpers in 2019. She had five in 2017. So you go from nine total possessions doing those things in your best season to pretty much 10% of your field goal attempts being completely wasted. She took 70% of her shots around the rim in 2017. That got down to 40% of her shots in 2019. Shots defined as mid-range by WNBA.com. So essentially like non-paint twos, eight and a half percent of her shots in 2017, 14% in 19. And I just don't think she's, you know, the, the kind of like tough two-point shot maker in those in-between areas that, that she kind of envisions herself or, or maybe wants to be. You know, if, if she gets back to kind of paint twos and open threes, like that's when John Quell Jones is at her best, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, she, she, go, she definitely goes about it. She's, she is one of the best centers in the WNBA in, in, in a league with a, ro- a lot of really good centers, but she really goes about it in a different way. It's, it's like she, she's, of course, a very gifted offensive rebounder and a pretty skilled player, especially for her height. But it's like she tries a lot of these like finesse finishes, like you said, these, uh, these turnaround jumpers or, or you know, like, like turn on hook shots or whatever. Like they don't just go up with it. You know, like you're bigger than everybody. You're, you're taller than everybody. Just go up with it, get fouled, get those easy shots, get those, get those easy points at the free throw line or, or at the cup. You know, it's, I, I think, but how is that going to, that that her that development or that regression, however you want to say it, that might be stunted if she's playing with Bree Jones though. Anyway, if Jones kind of gravitates back to what made her so effective, which which maybe, you know, just won't happen, right? She's, her stature as a player, I think is much larger now. I'm sure she envisions herself as the type of player that can just kind of take difficult shots, include that in her shot diet. You know, if they if they can play smaller with Bonner at the four without giving too much defensively, and I think there's a path to that happening, right? The four other players around Bonner can guard their positions really well. Obviously, Charles is, is pretty unproven there, but we like her tools for sure. And then, you know, Thomas, January, Jones, we don't really have any questions about whether they can defend at a high level. Right. Um, I think Bonner is a really good defensive player, but obviously, you know, not necessarily as a four. Like that's a tough position to kind of have as your defensive weak point and, and be a little undersized. Even still, though, I think best case scenario, like their ceiling is probably like the eighth best offense and probably more like ninth or tenth. I do think they can maybe still be a pretty good defense, though, even, you know, with Bonner at the four. Maybe get into the top four, but probably more likely five or six. 
there, there's just not a ton of teams where I'm like, this team will definitely be a better defense than Connecticut. You know, Vegas for sure, Minnesota, Washington, I can see being top four. You know, LA was a good defense last year. I imagine they're they're going to take a step back, yeah, replacing sure. some defensive players with offensive players. Uh, Seattle, I imagine, is not going to be as good of a defensive team, obviously losing to all defensive players and replacing them with offensive-minded players. So I said in our, our mailbag, there are four teams I definitely think will be better than Connecticut. I think Seattle and Phoenix can prob- will probably be better than Connecticut, you know, but maybe they can kind of eke out a better regular season than one of those teams and end up as the sixth seed, but probably, probably still the seven or eight seed, maybe even the, the ninth seed. What do you think? I don't think they're going to make the play. No, I'm sorry. I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs because Dewana Bader and John Cole Jones are just so good. Even if like their surrounding talent doesn't really step up to the plate, doesn't really compliment them that well. But at the same time, like, like you said, the weaknesses of this team are just so glaring and they're not really in this. The, the landscape of the league is not like it was last year where, you know, so many teams were missing key chunks of their, of their, of their roster. I don't think the Sun are going to be able to really have a run like that where they just leapfrog so many teams in the standings and end up going on this uh, this crazy run in the playoffs. I, I think maybe sixth seed, best case scenario, eighth seed, worst case scenario. In fact, regarding offense and defense, it wouldn't surprise me if they finished exactly the same as they did last year. Ninth in offense, fourth in defense. Um, you mentioned Washington. I Yeah, they have really good perimeter defenders, but Losing Latoya Sanders to retirement, I think, is huge. But, yeah, I mean, that's that has to be when – when you talk about team identities, I think this team just has to be a defensive-minded team now. That's what they need to hang their hat on because offensively, I mean, it's just going to be a total slog once again. So, is there something you wanted to add to that? No. Uh, unfortunately, there's not. <laughs> it's going to be a slog once again. Okay, well, um, thank you all so much for listening. Please, if you want to support the show, uh, please – subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcast Manager. Eric, we are uh, recording this one on a Saturday, a little bit weird. We missed each other for a week, but uh, glad to be talking with you again. Absolutely. Likewise. Uh, and uh, let's let's have some fun watching these NCAA tournament games. They're starting tomorrow. I'm not sure actually when this episode is going to drop, but hoping for a, a good uh, clean tournament with uh, with no positive COVID tests, with just really good basketball and uh season's just around the corner folks we've we're probably going to be like two more months and that's it so looking forward to it